Blog Talk Radio. Africa Center of the World, Africa. We welcome you to Africa on the Move as your host, Brother Africa. It's always an honor and a privilege to come to your home this evening where we can speak truth to power and to provide you with information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation. That's to help liberate your people and to help liberate humanity from all of the various forms of oppression. We welcome you today. Like always, we encourage you to call in and participate by calling in at 323-679-0841. We will have a continuation from last week's program. This program theme for tonight is part two, What's Happening in Africa. That's right. We need to know what's happening in Africa. There's a home. There's a mother home. But is at home is the base in which all things must be judged from. We're going to have a critical discussion on Africa because if we are to be a free people, we must control our own destination, which means we must set our own agendas. 
We must tell our narrative, and we must begin to recognize. We must integrate ourselves back into our home, Africa. So this is part two of what's happening in Africa. So at this point in time, before we deal with our theme, like always, the first part of the segment of our program, we have a segment called What's Happening in Our World in the Community, and we will have our political panelists and analysts to share their views on what's happening in our world and the community. But before we even do that, we always like to introduce our panelists and analysts. So right now, we're going to get started with this party by bringing in Brother Anthony and saying, Brother Anthony, welcome to Africa on the Move. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to the fellow panelists and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Father Brother Anthony, we have to bring in Brother Haki. Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the Move. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. My name is Haki Kamasmanshoki, family with African Awareness. And uh, my thing is institution building. Um, it seems to me we are institutions to sort of clarify the positions that we find ourselves in. It's very becomes very problematic in terms of being able to deconstruct ways in which, you know, we can survive. So one of the things is that, you know, we look at the changes that are taking place in society. Now, if we don't understand the implications of those changes, then we need the institutions to make it clear to us exactly what those changes mean. Uh, so institutes are extremely important. And Brother Africa, again, I want to thank you for having me on the show. Thank you, Brother Haki. Finally, Brother Haki, we bring in Brother Shabari. Brother Shabari, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you. Brother Shabari, resident researcher, looking forward to another insightful program from my fellow panelists. Peace to listen to the audience. Finally, Brother Shabari, we are bringing in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is this messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses. So you're listening to audience. You're listening to Africa on the Move. Right now, we are going to engage in terms of our first segment of this program, which is what's happening in our world community. If you have something very special and important that our people need to know, you're welcome to call in and share what's going on in your world and your community. So right now, we're going to get started with this party and bring in Brother Anthony. And Brother Anthony, I know there are so many, so many things going on. Tell us what's going on in your world in the community. Okay. Um, well, uh, the, um, this one item doesn't seem to bear a direct relationship to our topic tonight, but actually does. Uh, a brother who was a journalist for uh, CNN, Brother Mark Lamont Hill, was fired from uh, as an analyst from CNN because he uh, he stated that Palestinians 
have a right to live in Palestine and that they have the same human rights that any other people have. And that uh, infuriated uh, the uh, the management at CNN, and he ended up uh, be, uh, be, be being fired from his job. And um, you know it, it, it you know it reflects the fact that um, of the uh, Zionist domination of the U.S. media. That uh, that 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 they don't allow any any dissenting views that are in any way critical of uh, Israel or Zionism uh, to be expressed. So I just wanted to put that out there. Hmm, that's interesting. We'd love to like to go back and discuss that. Um, so you stay put. All right, let's go to go to Brother Hackey, Brother Hackey going on your world and the community? Yeah, you know, <laughs> what I found extraordinary is that we, in terms of Trump's tariffs, uh, when he enacted those tariffs, it seemed to me it should have been common sense that those tariffs would result in horrible things happening to the business community in America. But nonetheless, given the xenophobic, uh, given the racism that uh, he feels, uh, he went with the tariffs anyway. And now, what interesting, you know, GM, you know, recently you know, in the process of firing 14,000 people, closing down five plants in the U.S. and Canada. Now, interestingly enough, uh, GM warned Trump that if he introduced those tariffs, that would lead to great to job losses and declining wages. They, so they warned him. Uh, one of the things the tariffs did was it boosted the cost of steel and aluminum. In addition to that, uh, the overall cost of cars jumped between three to $5,000, which means he put it out of the reach of the average person's uh, pocketbook. Uh, also, one of the things that, you know, when as a result of the tariffs, uh, when he enacted those tariffs, GM actually ended up losing a billion dollars. So, therefore, uh, it is, it, you know, I can understand Trump's anger in terms of, you know, uh, the kind of monies that were given to GM in terms of keeping it from going under. Uh, but $1 billion in terms of this current environment uh, superimposed upon tariffs is a very tough pill to swallow. So, as a consequence, the workers, the ones who had nothing to do in terms of his policies, are the ones who pay the price. Uh, one of the things that, that Trump does have some legitimacy when he raises the question in terms of, you know, during the time that the government uh, bailed out uh, GM, uh, there was a, a loss of like $11.2 billion of taxes that the uh, country certainly could have used in terms of infrastructure. So he has a very, very legitimate point. But more importantly, you have to understand, you know, that uh, if he wasn't so guided by xenophobia, if he wasn't so guided by racism, then he will recognize, you know, that imposing those those tariffs on China and other places, and in Canada was simply uh, ill was uh, act of being ill informed. Uh, also, uh, one last thing about the Africa, and I want this is important, is that um, one of the things that uh, you know, uh, by virtue of what happened to GM, by virtue of what happened to Tesla and other major corporations, one of the things Trump did last week, uh, as a matter of fact, a couple of days ago, he talked about the fact that that's a matter of day. Um, Reevaluation period, in which he's going to reevaluate these tariffs. So now I think he's beginning to get the picture, begin to understand how the global economy works. But of course, it's not going to deter him from pursuing, you know, other illogical kind of uh, endeavors in terms of the economy. Simply because he's not very versed in terms of how the global economy works. Uh, this guy is pretty much, you know, um, um, very nationalistic, and his whole thing is that if he can, he can just intimidate, uh, he can terrorize, he can, uh, you know, beat down countries in order to carry out the U.S. will. 
there's different reality now. So countries like China, countries like Russia uh, are standing up. And so, therefore, you know, uh, it means that the, a lot of these, these practices implemented by the, the orange one are simply won't work in this atmosphere. So anyway, I just said it to say that, uh, anyway, um, you know, the, the devastation uh, visited upon workers in society is something that we've got to pay very close attention to. And so as these policies and main policies continue to take place, we got to understand that the people who will be victimized are the people, working-class people in the society, and we understand that clearly. So keep a, keep an eye on what's going on in the world. Thank you, Brother Haki. Father Brother Haki, we're bringing Brother Jabari. Brother Jabari, what's going on in your world and the community? You know, I recently read an article entitled, New Bill to Require Government Review of Social Media Accounts in search engine history to buy a gun. There's a new law that's being proposed um, entitled Senate Bill 9191, and in this particular bill, if one was to potentially make a gun purchase, they would um, have their social media accounts of um, search engine history research. So yet again, something that shouldn't, um, two things that shouldn't even be correlated, yet again, another way to be intrusive and find information on people by means of this being enacted. Wow. So much of freedom and expression and ideas. Uh, thank you, Brother Bobby. We need to come back and discuss that point. Let's go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Well, the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution is presenting a fundraiser uh, commemorating the return of the grandma's ship. Uh, as many of you know, the the commemoration of the 66, 62nd anniversary of the sailing of the grandma from Mexico to Santiago de Cuba on December 1st, 1956. This is when this historic event that marked the second launch of the revolution that was successfully fulfilled January the 1st, 1959, and that's uh, just when Che Guevara and Castro and others came back to Cuba from, I believe it was from Florida. And uh, anyway, the, celebration, the commemoration will be a donation of $10, and it's Saturday, December the 8th, 2018, for those who are in the D.C. metropolitan area, it's at, be at the Everlasting, Everlasting Life Cafe, 9185 Central Avenue, Capitol Heights, Maryland, 20743. This will be from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. That's December the 8th, Thursday. And uh, for donation $10. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Brother Moses. Father Brother Moses, we're bringing Sister Hattie. Sister Hattie, what's going on in your world in the community? Okay, well, we're still, uh, as the African theme goes with you, working with uh, the African people and figuring ways where we can make a difference, even just one person at a time. And, and so we're just looking at um, bringing anybody here that wants to be educated and supporting them so that they can um, go to their African continent and make a difference. If that's what it takes to bring them here, then they go there, have that experience, see what some other parts in the world look like. Uh, also, this week, it was a Saturday, 
Women, uh, the Million Woman March National Coordinator, Sister Angela Sales, was interviewed on the Nigerian uh, media about violence against women and what are we going to do about it and what it looks like here, how we can uh, partner up to change that. And so it was a pretty good uh, conversation there. And so we were very proud that she was invited to uh, be on the Nigerian media piece. So we're, we're doing things like that. And, of course, our uh, with Women United, the women 90 and up, we're still working with them to put together the uh, video on how these women and what these women have done to be successful and managed to survive all these years and still look as good as they do. And uh, very exciting project. It's just very exciting. It's awesome. So moving on along with that one. Thank you. Thank you, Suzanne. I'd like to maybe call back and discuss a little bit about the violence against women thing because um, recently you said this incident with this football player. I'd like to get y'all the way, you know, how y'all feel about it. Or how they dealt with it, or how they dealing with these kind of incidents. So um, at this point in time, panelists, I think Brother Anthony said something really interesting about this reporter that was fired because he made a statement on the on the, on the highway that the Palestinians should have the right to return to go back home. Um, that seems very common sense and normal. What, what's what's wrong with this reaction, panelists, in terms of? Um, First, all he is journalists, and to make such a statement, what is so outrageous about this statement? Well, there's there's nothing really outrageous about the statement. What he's saying is is factual, and, and historically, is very very sound. But factually speaking, uh, has a relevance in terms of when we talk about power, and we talk about the large influence of the Zionists in terms of U.S. media. And so, therefore, if certain messages are not palatable, you know, to the Zionist powers, then you can look to be um, uh, disciplined, as they call it. Uh, so I think that his, his message was very, very clear, that when you look in terms of the conditions and you look in terms of what the Palestinians are subjected to on a day-to-day basis, not only is humane, it's degrading. And so, therefore, as a people, they have an absolute right in terms of reclaiming their, their dignity, if not their sovereignty. Uh, but but the Zionists is not certainly not a message that's palatable to the Zionists, and the opposition is that you know uh, there'll be no favorable coverage of the Palestinians, and particularly when it comes from 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 an African you know in America, you're making the claim that uh, that the Palestinians have a right in terms of uh, some kind of autonomy. Uh, so I'm not surprised that they would fire him because uh, and I, I respect Lamont Hill a great deal. He's one of the few journalists, one of the few uh, irrespective of color, but he's one of the few journalists who act to stand up and tell it like it is. There are not many out here because most of them know that there's a script they have to abide by. And any time they step outside of that script, they know the probabilities are they're going to be fired and so or blacklisted. So therefore, they're afraid to articulate that which the masses of people already know to be true. But I think the statement he said was very, very sound, uh, historically factual, and I support him you know, for, for taking a stand and like, telling it like it is. I'm just wondering how much of this particular reaction was directly related to that he was an African journalist and was a European or even another scientist saying something of such would it be the same type of response? Well, you know, um, when you look at CNN's history, there was a Hispanic gentleman, uh, Mr. Rick Sanchez. He made a 
statement that was critical of um, Jules Rose in the media. And as a result of that, he had a um, what was a fairly popular spot at the 3 o'clock um, slot on CNN. Next thing you know, the minute he made that comment, he was dismissed as well. So there is a precedent to these kind of occurrences with CNN. Well, um, I concur with the points that uh, both Jabari and Haki made. And I would add that uh, when uh, Martin Lamont Hill visited Palestine and he saw the conditions that the Palestinians were living under, and he saw some similarities to the way Africans in the U.S. used to live in the days of um, open segregation. And uh, that's why he made the comments that he made. And he saw some similarities. So, uh, so again, uh, this is, um, you know, and, uh, you know, and applying the, the concept that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I think that's, that's another reason why uh, Brother Hill made that the statement that he did. And it was correct. But it comes with, uh, especially when you attack an entity uh, that's under con- uh, under Zionist control, and uh, CNN is owned by Time Warner. So um, you know, so I mean, uh, this is something that we have to keep in mind going forward. That the struggle to get the information, the, the correct information out there is going to uh, uh, bear possible economic and re- political reprisals. Hmm. Well, okay. um, did Jimmy Carter told Barack Obama when he was, he was considering running for president that uh, you could not get elected president of the United States if you were not supporting Israel? And, you know, the, the corporate structure and the ruling class uh, support Israel and the dominant media outlets support Israel. And uh, they're all advocates of the Zionist project. And so this is this is nothing new. Um, uh, no one until the, the ruling class is overthrown, uh, um, this is going to be the situation now. Uh, it's going to be hard to get out the truth about Israel um, through the dominant media because they are, with the Democratic and Republican, properly control the narrative, and uh, they support Israel. Thank you. Is this also a form of censorship, a form of psychological warfare, in terms of making journalists realize there are certain things they cannot think freely and openly, and that, and therefore we'll be talking about this question of human rights. has a right to be able to speak freely, that this is being denied based upon this kind of practice or reaction? Well, no, nobody should presuppose that a democracy really exists. And the limits that you talk about in reference to, the limits that you talk about in reference to um, journalists is very, very clear. They understand fundamentally there's a line in which they can't pass. Uh, you're only allowed to, 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 to articulate the truth to a certain point, and you must cut it off. If your analysis is too sharp in terms of uh, the politics, then you know you're going to get in trouble because you've crossed that line. So journalists are not free to, to, to convey news. They're, they're, they're free to convey a viewpoint, and that viewpoint 
is what what their, their media bosses want them to convey and only what they want them to convey. So that's why you got programs like RT and the Young Turks, <clears throat> which are you know, independently funded. And so those journalists are free to be journalists. They'll actually talk about issues that impact on impact people and to talk about why those issues impact people and to talk about the major players and how they benefit from such policies. Uh, but major corporations, uh, you know, uh, are not in a position. Those journalists are not in a position to articulate the truth. And they understand that. That's why if you look at these shows, with these, with these, you know, sponsored by major corporations, you won't have any realistic discussion in terms of what's really going on. You only have super mineral, super, um, superficial discussion about what's really going on because those journalists understand that there is only so far you can go in terms of articulating the truth. Uh, and they understand that. So for anyone to believe that those those journalists are free to to articulate what's really going on, uh, they don't understand the, the current reality in terms of what it is to be a journalist in America. Hmm. Hmm. Hopefully it gives people something to think about. We're going to answer the point, point they raise, he raises tonight. Is this, this question around... Um, I mean, Bobby, this question around guns and being exposed to have to open up your communications to the various mediums that you use, whether it's Facebook, et cetera. What is the rationale behind that? Because from my understanding, and, and most, most, of, most me, of your medias, let me just finish this point, Jabari, can come in. Okay. Most of the very forms of media communication they are already in collaboration with the um, government, and they already have access to any kind of information that they want, and they monitor them anyway. So what is the purposes of making some kind of law that associated with gun, or buying guns versus having access to your um, Facebook or media account? What is the rationale behind that? And let me just put on the record that this is a state bill that's being introduced in New York. But then you have to understand, a state with the cloud of, with the political cloud of New York, this could be a microcosm of what could come nationally. So that's what we got to understand that, in terms of the guinea pig, New York is going to be one of the first states that's going to introduce something like this. Test the folks again, see how much they can get away with. Mm-hmm. And the thing we have to understand too, there's big money in terms of how much data you can get on people. Because if, as we know, in terms of recent technology trends, it has become the norm for um, technology companies to lobby the national um, legislatures to ensure that they will be able to get access to people's information. They can bombard them with advertisements, whether it's social media or even websites they visit. Has gotten so um, interesting now in the NBA. It's blatant even on players' jerseys. They have ads for companies now, much like what NASCAR was used for in terms of advertising. Because it started with NASCAR, but now it's becoming a norm across other mediums as well. Okay, let's move along. This case or the issue dealing with uh, women's abuse, physically violating women. Panelists, I'd like for you to weigh in on this particular case, but but also just look at in general how this society dealing with or dealing with this narrative of violent or women abuse. Now, recently, you know, also in, in football, National Football League, there was a running back, 
for the Kansas City Chiefs when their best running back, his last name was Hunt, and took his first name offhand. But it was shown on a video day where he had a he had a confrontation, not with a girlfriend, but just with an associate, some young lady he was seeing. Uh, he went out with a physically, you know, uh, hit a pressure kicker, you know. It didn't look pretty. And as a result of it, he ended up losing his his, his lose, losing his contract with the team, and he might not be even playing professional football no more, which was his uh, career, his lifetime, you know, um, career and dream. So they disciplined him for for once he lied to the team, but the whole fact of uh, abusing women, they went to the point to, um, you know, just about got rid of his career. Do y'all think it's too harsh for uh, uh, a young man first time, you know, getting in this kind of trouble, punish him like that? What do y'all make of that? That type of response. Now, well, one of the things, one of the things I, I would like to put in the equation because you can't. Leave it out because everything in in America, race has something to do with it. The the young lady here, he physically abused was a European lady. Now, mm-hmm. you know, if it was an African sister, I wonder if it would be the same kind of response. So, what's your views on this? I think well, I'll put out there. I think he needs to be punished. Glaring, he, he, but go ahead, Shabari, go ahead. Uh, one glaring contradiction is that when you look at the track record of some of these owners, even though they may have the money and be um, owning the teams, they have some very dubious incidents that um, are not discussed, and there's nothing done if they um, behave in an inappropriate manner. It's glossed over if it's even talked about at all. So you have that contradiction. And then the other one, there's always um, – some type of price to be paid in terms of if it is a European woman, because we got to remember there was an incident with Bay Buccaneers quarterback Jameis Winston where supposedly he touched his Uber or Lyft driver inappropriately, but yet there was faulty evidence whether he did or didn't, but yet he still was suspended three games to start the season. And then if we remember last year, Ezekiel Elliott, the running back for the Dallas Cowboys, his accuser eventually admitted she lied, and they still made him serve the full eight-game suspension he was set to do for, even though that was under faulty circumstances. And lost money at the same time. So, panelists, what's going on with this? Is, uh, is, is this not a double standard, or is it hypocrisy? Because for me, if you're truly concerned about women abuse, let's look at all the forms and ways how we abuse, how the system abuse women. And it doesn't have the same kind of recourse that it has when it comes to African men's sports entered into that kind of behavior. I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying it's right. I think we need, you know, of course, that's some kind of, as a problem. We need to work with the brothers in terms of making them realize, you know, this, this kind of behavior is not acceptable. But to totally do it in someone's career uh, and, and very young, at a very young age and first time, but not to do the same when it comes to Let's talk about some professions. Some professions that really abuse women and not the say of. Can anyone tell me the number one profession in this country that is the most abusive to our women and their wives and no one said nothing about it? You know what that profession you is, Fellas? They may be part of it. Yes, they may be part yeah, you're in the same category, but like it's the police. They are the highest violation of violating women and their wives. 
but no one said nothing about them. They don't get punished. But we said we against abuse against women. Well, you know, you know, yeah, it's you, interesting you, know, you point that out, Brother Africa, because um, they uh, police are, are exposed to and are subject to all kinds of violence on their job, and they tend to take it out on the people around them. They also tend to be the heaviest uh, drug abusers and the most suicidal of uh, of, uh, of any occupation. Yeah, you know that's true. That's that's very very true. But we also can argue that uh, professional football is a very balanced sport. In fact, mm-hmm. head injuries does impact uh, your personality on something sometimes. So you know, I think that one of the things, brother Africa, I think you're right. Um, when you talk about in terms of um, uh, their concern with women as being disingenuous, I think you're absolutely correct. They're not concerned about their abuse of women. That's not that's concern one iota. In fact, uh, one of the things is that uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, quarterback was alleged to rape not once but twice, and nothing became of that. And the question is that now he's white. Uh, I think that one of the things that you talk about these Africans making large sums of money, these owners' position is that these people belong to them. They own them. And therefore, you know, um, they're going to um, they're going to um, uh, abuse them at any turn. Uh, so if they get an opportunity to abuse them, then that's what's going to happen because they're paying them so much money. In other words, I think the owners expect these these men to be you know good slaves because they're being paid such a lot of money. Under other circumstances, they wouldn't get paid that kind of money. If they're in the business world, they wouldn't get paid that kind of money. So I think that uh, the, the the owners, you know, are they maybe consciously, maybe in some cases unconsciously. Uh, have this bias toward these African athletes, and chess, and in, 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 in particular, when you start talking about, you know, uh, you know, allegedly abusing white women, then of course, then that's that's going that's going to register with these owners, you know, who are by and large white and very conservative. So I'm not surprised, you know, that any type of uh, any type of situation involving, you know, um, African men and supposedly abuse of women is going to be highlighted, not just by the by the NB, by the NFL, but also by the media in general. Because they want to make this message that, in fact, that African men are abusive. And, in fact, as you alluded to, when you talk about the biggest abuses of women, uh, the police and the military. Uh, because nobody ever talks about that because the bottom line is that once you talk about that, that's a clear indictment in terms of how the system works. Because if you dehumanize people, and it's not unusual, uh, it's not unthinkable that these same people would then, then turn around and dehumanize other people. So I think that, uh, you know, they have an implicit interest in terms of not talking too much about you know, uh, disabuse of women, but talk about it to the extent that African men are alleged allegedly abuse women. Look and at Hollywood. Africa. Let me just add one yeah. more point. Another thing we have to consider is that it was within the last five years that there were a number of former cheerleaders that were raising issues to the plight of how oftentimes, even in some marquee events where they should be getting paid overtime, they get paid little to nothing. And that if they don't perform, they don't get the few peanuts that will be entitled to be given to them. So that's something else you have to look at, too, in terms of the key female component of the NFL um, of misuse, abuse, and mistreated. But yet, there wasn't a big media outcry in regards to the condition they were working under. They won't get paid nothing. They literally, the Chileans don't get paid anything. I mean, there's a bit one. I think they make less than three to $4,000 a year. Chile, you know, all throughout the year for these teams. They have much money as these sports teams bring in on a weekly basis. They get paid very little of nothing. Very little of nothing. 
But check this out. Look at the recent um, incidents dealing with all these high-profile high, high filmmakers and producers and, and executives in the media. Look how they deal with those cases and how they got inquired. And even today, I don't think none of them really been punished as yet for it. And look at, look at the narrative of how they dealing with that. There were no cases versus how that would be a cause for case. And if you really were concerned about women abuse, why is this so difficult for this society to accept equal pay for equal work, allow women to get paid equally across the board for any job? Is that not a form I, of abuse? That is a form of abuse. Not 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 uh you know, not paying uh, you know, not providing people equal pay for equal work. Uh it's a form of discrimination, blatant form of discrimination. And uh and also that and there is a double an underlying double standard. There's one code of behavior expected of Africans, regardless of gender, and there's another code uh for Europeans. And uh that's been through throughout history. I think uh, in the era of, um, you know, integration and the fact that Africans can date Europeans openly, a lot of Africans have lost sight of the fact that that double standard still exists. You know, also, one of the ways in which the white white males maintain control over white women (laughs) is through allocation of resources or money. Uh, they want. They love the situation where where, where women generally, um, particularly white women, get paid less than everybody else simply because it means that they have more power over 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 women. Particularly when we talk about the patriarchal society, which everything revolves around men. But of course, we understand you know historically when you look at society, Eastern societies, your your ancient societies of 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 uh, are predicated of revolved around the women. And not the men. Well, the Western context is totally different. It turned the sort of logic on its head, in which now the society is organized around men and not women, which makes no sense at all, since women are in control in terms of you know the day-to-day affairs, in terms of organizing the family, in terms of ensuring the survival of that family. That women have a, a huge role to play in terms of making sure all those things come to fruition, because they have the they have the the, the, the children, so they they feel personally responsible for caring for those children. And so, therefore, if you're really concerned about women, given this reality, and it seems to me that they need to do to make sure that equal pay for equal, you know, for equal pay for equal person, and uh, and that you wouldn't discriminate people simply because of their gender. But I think that it, in the context of patriarchal society, it makes sense that you would pay women less because that sort of solidifies your control over women, and that's precisely what they want. So they really don't give a damn about women. I mean, it's just it's just it's it's just something to to, to articulate. It's not for something that is in meaning, having a real meaning. And certainly you're not going to see this male power structure uh, change this program in terms of how it treats women. It will persist. And so these kind of uh, assaults of women, whether they be uh, physical or whether it be emotional, uh, will continue to exist. You know, Sister Hattie, I was in the barbershop the other night, and it was talking about this issue. And the sisters were saying to avoid all these problems, uh, maybe these African men need to realize that the African men realize you realize stop running at European women, and that could be avoided. Why are they constantly running at European women? What do you say to um, people with that type of attitude? Um, what type of attitude? The, 
the attitude of running the after attitude. the right, uh, the women who yeah. think they should not run after. Which attitude are you? The attitude of these African brothers need to stop running after these European women. Oh, well, that's not going to happen as long as the man thinks with his um, private parts rather than on the sexual uh, uh, I guess activities rather than thinking from a, a, a strictly conscious level. That is just not going to happen. So, you know, people shall have to continue to go after whomever they wish. But, you know, it's kind of like we all know that there's always two separate set of rules, one for us and one for them. Number two, the rules are really only made for us because white folks don't follow no rules. They don't follow their own rules. Their people do not uh, uh, actually expect for them to uh, they do not hold them accountable, period. I mean, that's very, that's been very clear throughout our history, and it's really been clear in, in more recent years around white men with money always. And so it just seems to me any man, period, you know, how he views women and what he will do, is is really critical in these days and these times because uh, the violence against women is still off the charts, and we know who gets the most violence. It is the African woman who gets the most violence, and she not only gets it from um, whoever she's with personally, she can do it, she gets it on her job, from acts of not getting a economy that is, is supposed to be hers. The black woman just gets it from society. And don't be a single black female. You really get it because the perception is that you're vulnerable and that you do have to take certain things. And so um, for me, it just seems like one has to be somewhat willing as a black female because I can't speak to the white woman's issue because the white woman's issue is her issue, and ours is strictly very, very different. And so when I speak, I'm speaking from the perspective of how do you support black women who have uh, been unable to garner some support around violence against women because it's there, it's always been there, it started from the slave ship, um, and and uh, it's just really atrocious what the what the uh, results are around statistics on the violence against black women. Women gets it from, like I said, every angle in society possible, economically, everything. So yeah, that's that's my uh, perspective on that one. To rest of presence, as you like for y'all is that a valid? Um position or how to eradicate that problem of just not engaging in relationships outside of your race? You think these brothers should oh, start running the European women? It's not the race thing. I don't think it's the race thing at all. Those rules are going to be think. there regardless. That's what I'm, I'm saying. If the If the black man wants a white woman, so be it. 
if he falls for that, to me, that's just the area of consciousness and unconsciousness. If the black uh, woman wants wants the white man, little bit different because simple fact, if she is a unconscious black woman with a white man, there's going to be a different perspective than if she is a black woman with a white man who's conscious. The unconscious one is kind of really in a rigmarole squadmire. The one who's conscious just makes her job harder. Simply because what the brother said a few minutes ago, the woman is the one that plans pretty much the, particularly when children are younger, um, they, they plan the household stuff. So the role for the woman in most instances, probably 90%, I'm sure they're 10% or maybe less, that have a different perspective of who's planning things around the home. But generally it's the female. Uh, in more recent years, it's, it's gotten to be a little, just a, I think a smidge different. However, people are going to go after whomever they want to go after, and I don't think that's going to change. And they're going to keep doing that if they're unconscious. Back of all, um, whereas you follow the money, for, for instance. And so if you've been enslaved for 400 years and you, you, you're so low self-esteem that you don't want your own woman to have the economic um, access to what you have, which is really kind of what it amounts to, then that's just kind of on your your level of consciousness. Yeah, you know, I I do think think all of these, and let me say one more final thing because this conversation a little bit earlier. I do think all these athletes that are uh, hitting women White girls, they know what their consequences are going to be. And number two, yeah, they, they know what it's going to be. And if they didn't, they they should have known it by now. And so, yeah, they ought to just, they're not being too harsh on them, far as I'm concerned. Not because they're punishing, punishment for white girls' activity, but because you know what it's going to be. And if nobody taught you, then maybe the others will learn from that. So anyway, that, that's all I want to say. I don't think they're being too harsh on them because that's just kind of the way it is. That's just like if you go out and you kill a white person. Same thing as it was back in slavery days. You're going to get a higher uh, uh, kind of uh, situation going on with you legally than you would if you killed a black person. This is this is the way it is. So yeah, what's, what's but the problem is uh, the problem is a lot of Africans aren't uh, don't understand that I don't think partly because uh, you know you have a lot of Africans that came up in very integrated environments and uh, and because a lot of African parents have not done a uh, an adequate job of passing on our past struggles. You have a lot of factors coming up that don't know those hidden those hidden rules that that used to that used to be out in open that are that are more that still exist. That there's this double standard regarding behavior of Africans versus and Europeans. So are you telling me these people don't read the news? They never see that out in um, real life play that what happens to these athletes. 
once they do something to a white woman? Are you telling me they don't they don't see that they don't get it or they think that doesn't pertain to them because they are a different kind of Negro? The second one, in other words, in other words, because that uh, that they probably, uh, you know, you have some, no, not not all, but quite a few Africans that grew up in uh, in very mixed environments. They weren't strictly segregated environment. They grew up around a, a mixture of Europeans, Asians, etc. And uh, and uh, and the thing about it though, and the thing about it though, the, uh, people tend to follow, especially in the youth, uh, you, you know, trends that go on in, in the school system. So uh, you know, you have that factor, and also, um, and I agree with your point about the 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 burden that African women bear in this society. And it's partly because of the triple oppression that that African women suffer, and that's gender, ethnicity, and economic status. And uh, they had, the, and that's why the oppression of African women is different from European women, because uh, oh, Europeans tend to be oppressed on uh, on gender. You know, I I think you know I think the whole question in terms to forbidden fruit is is very germane here. Uh, you know, I think that for those for those brothers, the position is that um, they ran into you know a, a, a female who happens to be white uh, because she's a very conscious conscientious human being. Um, she's very committed to the struggle. Uh, she's very principled. I could see that kind of relationship blossoming. But what I don't understand is when you have a situation where simply because the color of their skin makes them preferable. And that speaks to a kind of mentality, a kind of slave mentality that exists in a lot of our people. Uh, so I think it, when bottom line is that when it comes down in terms of interracial dating, you know, I think it comes down to an individual thing. You know what I mean, personally, my thing is I like African, African females. I mean, that's just me. But uh, for those brothers who prefer, well, not prefer, but those brothers who find themselves in a relationship with European women, you know, if they principal people, they're good people. They're they're very conscientious people. Then I don't see a problem with it because if she can think beyond skin color, then she's the kind of person that's uh, favorable in terms of real change in society. But that's that's just my view. So uh, hopefully the sisters won't kill me for you know. But anyway, that's my view. All right, Pam, this job well done. We're going to pause for the calls, and when we come back, we're going to enter into our theme tonight, which is part two, what's happening in Africa. And we'd like to encourage our listening audience to feel free to call in at 323-679-841. So we're going to pause for the calls. When we come back, we're going home. We're going to Africa. What's happening in Africa? We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move.
Cause if you come from Clarendon And if you come from Portland And if you come from Westmoreland You're an African So don't care where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind your nationality I've got the identity of an African Cause if you come from Trinidad And if you come from Nassau And if you come from Cuba You're an African So don't you where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African Brother Anthony, 
give me an analysis on how do you create such a scenario where you do this and um, people find this acceptable. Well, um, I was um, I was seriously concerned when I read this article uh, because it seems as if the U.S. is preparing for military occupation in South Africa. And the reason why, um, you know, uh, uh, countries would, would, would fall for these deals is because of uh, money. And uh, this is a consequence of the failure of uh, the uh, political leadership of Africa to achieve Pan-Africanism. And uh, there was uh, an attempt to build it from the top down, but because of the bourgeois mentality of a lot of the political leadership in Africa, uh, it's not going to be possible to achieve pan-Africanism that way. Uh, It has to be from the bottom up, at the mass, at the level of the masses of the people. Uh, Because uh, one uh bear in mind that um that uh a majority of African countries recently within the last fifty years emerged from direct colonialism, in other words, their resources, their economies, and their politics were externally controlled now most African countries have sham independence, in other words, they have all the outward trappings of sovereignty but their economies are externally subjected to foreign control. That is how the U.S. has managed to get a a military basis in all of these countries, because they promise aid and uh, possible uh, employment opportunities and and to prop up the current political leadership. And uh, and I think that's why I think, uh, you know, you have such a heavy military presence in Africa. It seems to be more to it than just merely advice and uh, terror assistance. They seem to be preparing the ground for an outright military occupation of uh, the African continent. And I think, uh, you know, uh, I read the uh, a paragraph where it indicated that Ghana and the U.S. signed a, uh, 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 an agreement to allow the U.S. to establish a basis in Ghana, which the masses of people inside Ghana protested against. And uh, and I think uh, you know with uh, you know Nkrumah would be turning over in his grave if he heard that sort of thing going on in his country. So, but uh, but I think uh, what what is at stake is uh, because of the competition for the control of markets and resources, uh, the U.S. is trying to militarily occupy Africa, so that those so that it can control the natural the the all the resources that come out of Africa that benefit uh, U.S. imperialism. Key, your analysis sound like there are independent countries in Africa to me with uh with the realities of 
He had five military troops and time agencies based inside of your country. You have disallowed something to come into your country that you're not going to be able to kick out. Well, you know, I, I, I want to take a, a, slightly, a slightly different um, stance in terms of, you know, what I believe is happening. In terms of the Penn State for African States allowed U.S. military in, even though the U.S. military intentions are not well intended. In fact, well, everything they do is toward the destabilization and undermining, you know, Africa's development. But I think one of the things that the U.S. does along with other Western cohorts, particularly the British and the, and the, and the, and the French, I think one of the things it does is it uses psychological operations. I think these psychological operations are very important in terms of um, creating a narrative, uh, which says that if you don't play ball, then there's a real possibility you're going to be overrun by quote-unquote terrorists. And the thing you've got to understand when we talk about terrorists, and in fact what we're talking about, we're talking about Western-created entities uh, for the sole purpose of destabilizing you know, African countries. But the, 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 but the, the desire to maintain control, to maintain power at all costs by African leaders is so great that if the United States can simply give them a boogeyman or something to focus on, and that in and of itself is enough for them to say, okay, we'll work with you to keep these people from taking over. So I think this is kind of psychological operation that we've got to be mindful of and understand, you know, that given the classes and given the greed and the average that exists in the minds of some African leaders on the continent, uh, they're they're very uh, susceptible to uh, to to U.S. psychological operations. Now, one of the things you know, I, I, let me point this out. I think this is important. When I talk about the fact that when we, when we talk about you know these 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 entities that are created by the for the government, the sole purpose of, of of creating fear in the minds of African leaders, we have to understand that, for instance, if you talk about ISIS, now one of the things that people don't understand that ISIS was created by American generals McGovney and Paul Valley. And these are psychological specialists. And they're the ones who are responsible for organizing ISIS. Now, in February 23, 2013, the Iraqis shot down two British military planes carrying weapons to ISIS. Uh, on February 26, 2013, uh, the U.S. military planes shot down carrying weapons to ISIS. And this was according to Al Hashid Al Shabi, uh, uh, who talked about the fact when they shot it down, who discovered the cache of weapons on that plane headed for uh, ISIS strongholds uh, in Iraq. So clearly, when you have this kind of perception that these terrorists are everywhere and they're coming to get me, they're going to take power, then there's incentives to play ball with the United States. So I think that's, that's important we have to understand that. And one of the things that when we talk about, there's a bill called H.R. 608. It's a bill which says that um, the U.S. Uh, uh, re- rejected the bill to stop financing terrorists. All right. And the bill was designed to make sure that the U.S. stopped funding terrorist groups like ISIS, uh, Al-Qaeda, and the rest. Well, this bill was rejected by the, by, the, by, the Senate, by, the, by the U.S. Congress because, in other words, they want to ensure that the U.S., in terms of psychological operations, can continue to create these boogeymen to, in, to entice or to, to, in, in, to, in, to stimulate fear in the minds of African leaders so as to work with the U.S. in terms of fighting the scourge, in terms of the potential threat to taking their power. So I think the, so. what we see is not that the African leaders are ignorant in terms of U.S. motivations. I think it's that the desire, that, that class desire um, to hold on to power is so great that they're willing to play ball with the U.S. on the guys that, well, at least they're on our side and they can help us maintain our power by fighting these people who threaten to take our power. 
So I think this kind of psychological operation is important to understand that. And, and so it's one of the reasons why I'm looking in terms of why would the U.S. Senate vote to, 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 to not stop funding of terrorists, even though they keep alleging that the terrorists are the bad guys, why would the, the, the Congress fundamentally vote down the law which would put an end to financing, financing terrorists and arming terrorists? Well, it's all part of the psychological operation. So I think that's what the African leaders are responding to. And I think that's the thing that's sort of frustrating because a lot of times we want, we want to believe that, you know, the African leaders are just so damn corrupt, uh, you know, that they just, you know, that they are easily deceived. It's not like they're, it's not that they're really deceived. They don't understand what's going on. It's that their, their motivation, their interest lies in, 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 in maintaining the maintenance of power. So I think that's, that's why the U.S. is able to do what it does in terms of, uh, you know, with the African countries and, and, and essentially occupied African states. Also, one of the things of Africa you got to be important, is important to understand is that there's a, there's a document called the uh, Authorized Use of Military Force. African states must sign this document stating that any type of human rights abuse uh, by the United States is not subject uh, to international uh, criminal court actions. So, therefore, the, the, the U.S. government has free reign to terrorize the people in the country that they're in, and there are no legal recourses. Nothing these, countries, these, these states can do in terms of, you know, bringing the U.S. to justice in terms of doing that. So, clearly, I think the maintenance of power is a strong motivator for a lot of African leaders, and so, therefore, they're willing to play ball with the devil if that means the maintenance of their own power. Sister Haiti and Dean Brother Jabari, you know, sometimes well, we got to be careful. we got to be careful in reference to people define things, describe things. They may say one thing, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that it is what they say it is. For example, so like to me, they have already colonized the country. When you look at read, the second paragraph, is really interesting. It says that the U.S. is not waging any wars in Africa, but it has a significant presence on the continent. Navy SEALs, Green Beret, and other special ops are currently conducting nearly 100 missions across 20 African countries at any given time, waging secret limited scale operations. According to the magazine Vice, the U.S. troops are now conducting 3,500 exercises and military engagements throughout Africa per year. Let me repeat that. 3,500 exercise, exercises and military engagements throughout Africa per year at an average of 10 per day. An astonishing, astonishing 1,009% increase since the command rolled out 10 years ago. Many active described as advice and assist are actually what? indistinguishable from from combat by any basic definition. What do you conclude from this, Sister Hattie? That statement by itself, that I just read. Well, I concluded that it is somewhat propaganda because I think I think the African people have two things to look at the history of what America is all about. Um, I think they know what America has done. These are intelligent people all over the world. 
and they're not naive as to what, why, when, and how its operations go. So I think um, the African people basically are, for a better word, and the leadership is corrupt, and it's been corrupt for many, you know, historically corrupt, because Europe America offers them very wonderful things, but that that corruption comes in when there's no spreading of that carrot that America dangles to them. There's no infrastructure being built usually. It sounds very little. The word is just purely corruption. And number two, I don't even think it has um, any credibility around um, the people, particularly I'm talking about the leaders, uh, being afraid of overrunning anything. Uh, You know, if you take it even back to the slave trade, what did we find there? How Africans got to the Americas on the slave ship, it was corruption. And I dare say it's the same thing today. Uh, it's, It's just not pretty. And some of the people think of it like that. I think in Ghana, for instance, when the people rose up and said to their president, no, this is not what we want to do. Uh, anybody with half a brain can understand why there's all of this infiltration of America. You've already got war waged on you by those individuals. It's not about the war being waged on you by terrorists. And I'm not saying terrorists aren't, you know, is, is some kind of uh, something that does not exist. I'm not saying it's false, fake, or whatever. But it just seems like there are other ways around it rather than trusting people in the past who have done certain things and have a history historically stealing your resources. And so I just have to say it's corrupt. It's corruption. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's just what makes me <laughs> always mm-hmm. leery. If you can't see that people are building bases in your in your backyard in your country, you got war being waged on you. War is waged on you. Thank you. Thank you, Suzanne. Brother Bobby, a hundred missions across twenty African countries. Yeah, secret limited um operations. Three thousand five hundred exercise and military engagements throughout Africa, average ten per day. What are military engagements? Why do you have so many? Ten per day. Is this not war, Shabari? What do you make of those those numbers? Well, the conclusion I draw that <clears throat> it is clear that they're playing for the long game, not the short game. When you talk about that kind of rapid, um, rapid infiltration in a short period of time, the thing you got to understand. We've discussed before how the media propagate these kinds of scenarios. 
if one wants to do their research, they can find a number of movies find um, roles where either there are people from the West that are either fighting certain African entities or they're in Africa conducting missions. So this isn't something that we haven't been um, propagandized by. It's just that everybody may not recognize what they recognize and realize what they were looking at, but it's not something we haven't been exposed to because they were letting you know what was either going on or what was coming down the pipe. But they bombard you with it so much you become immune to it, and that's the problem. I feel that a lot of people become immune to these kind of scenarios taking place or they don't do proper research because there's a book, um, I believe it's called The Grand Imperial Chessboard, but I cannot remember, but Brzezinski wrote it, who was a major right-wing um, defense strategist. And the book outlines how they're going to engage in these kind of um, missions and these occupations. And the thing is, he put it out there because the main people are going to be read are people who think like him. He's not concerned about those that are opposed to this kind of scenario happening. So it's interesting. The information is out there. People um, wanting to access it instead of just trying to act as if it's an anomaly when it's a trend. Brother Moses, some of the figures in this article talks about there's currently 7,500 military personnel include 1,000 contractors deployed in Africa for comparison that the figure was only 6,000 just a few years ago. The truth uh, are, um, yes, um, I yeah, mean, but you that's know, what these numbers. Yeah, good, Brother Hackey. Yeah, but I think one of the things we have to be cognizant of, even though the article talks about, you know, the, 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 the U.S., um, uh, occupation of Africa uh, as terms of prevention of terrorism. Let's, that's what the article is implying. The reality is it has something to do with terrorism. Even, even by the State Department's own words, uh, it's no longer, it's never been about fighting terrorists. It's more about containing China. It's about preventing China from getting a foothold into Africa. China is there. So the question for the U.S. is even though China has a base in Djibouti, the question is how do we render uh, chi- uh, uh, Chinese powerless, you know, on the African continent. So all this build-up of troops has nothing to do with terrorism, but ultimately, this is the pick on China, uh, militarily on the continent. Uh, that's that's the way I'm reading this. So I think that even though this article doesn't mention that, one of the things is that you know when you talk about this thing, this, this build-up of, of people, and also one of the things, brother Africa, I think is important to understand the point that I'm making. Uh, often the the Department of Defense defines uh, these kinds of um, these kind of formations on the African continent as forward operating sites. In other words, mm-hmm. they're talking about the fact that these that these formations are geared toward rotating. In other words, what they do actually changes from from month to month, from year to year, and so therefore they intend to be on be in Africa forever. Even though, for instance, they signed a 20-year agreement with Djibouti to be there for 20 years, at least they, they get that uh, the drone base for 20 years, even though they signed a lease for 20 years, but if, when you talk about the four operating sites, that means that because they can because they can rotate uh, the uses of those bases uh, from month to month from year to year, then there's no time there in terms of how long they can be there. So the so the Djibouti so the people in Djibouti didn't understand that when you signed that 20-year lease, it wasn't simply a 20-year lease. That in fact now what happens is that what you, what you, in essence, what you're telling them is they can be there forever. 
And that is a whole, I think that's a whole motivation in terms of the U.S. president in, in, in Africa. It has nothing to do in terms of fighting terrorists. It has everything to do in terms of keep making sure China remains in check. But China's doing great things in Africa in terms of investments, infrastructure, and the, and the U.S. is doing all it can in terms of undermining those investments, undermining, you know, Chinese strategies in terms of the empowerment of the African continent. So I think it has more to do with that as opposed to, quote-unquote, terrorism per se. Brother Moses, Africon is all over Africa. It's, they also use Africa as a base to to fight the drone drone wars within the borders of Africa. What do you make of this article, Brother Moses? Well, this article clearly shows that the U.S. is occupying Africa and that it intends to occupy Africa for the purposes of draining its resources and exploiting its economy. Uh, that's the role the U.S. plays, and that's the only role the U.S. plays. Uh, so, you know, we should have no illusions about about that. Uh, uh, the U.S. is imperialist, and and uh, it's not a it's not a policy. It's it's it's, it's the highest stage of capitalism, and it's a it's a political economical force. And uh, so, you know, Africa, you know, due to due to the corruption and um, the top-down uh, uh, situation uh, is allowing for this occupation to occur, and uh, and you know there's all kind of propaganda and uh, you know mis- misinformation. But the bottom line is this imperialism and this occupation. Thank you. Thomas. How do you explain to our people when it comes to U.S. foreign policy and how it relates to Africa? Does it have that interest in African people here or throughout the world? How do we relate this article to and share with our people in terms of the danger of how this particular situation that's now that's employing Africa will be something that we're going to be fighting for years to come? Anthony Anthony. Anthony. Go ahead, Anthony. Anthony. Okay. I was going to say that, uh, that the implications of this is that, uh, that until, uh, Africans become sufficiently, uh, organized to defeat, uh, these imperialist forces, this problem is going to continue. Now, one of the things that uh, that people need to bear in mind is uh, where are these 200,000 U.S. troops coming from? That article alludes to an opening paragraph. It says around mm-hmm. 200,000 U.S. troops are stationed in 177 countries throughout the world. And these forces last several hundred military installations. Africa is no exception. But now, one of the things that uh, that uh, that people need to bear in mind is that the masses of the uh, of the troops that 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 the U.S. is using come from the working masses of people. 
the poor, the uh, uh, the very same people that are the main victims of uh, uh, capitalist uh, uh, of U.S. capitalist policies. The ruling class is not sending their sons and daughters to fight these wars. They're sending the youth of the working people. And that's something that people need to bear in mind. That if you that that those who elect for a military career, you, you you're likely gonna be in a situation where you're fighting against your own brothers and sisters. Brother Africa, can I add a point? Good Javari. You know something else that um is important to notice because we often um sometimes well, it's not. It's safe to say that oftentimes sports is used as an opiate for the masses in terms of it's a distraction to keep you all focused on what's really going on. And I find it very interesting. You see a number of high-profile African athletes from some of these, a lot of these countries that have engaged in these African agreements. So it's very interesting. They'll find some way to keep you distracted while you can't even see what's really going on in the places where these particular athletes come from. You in awe of what they do in terms of their respective sport. But you have no idea of the conditions of um, what that person's family may go through back at home because of policies like this. So it's very interesting. They find ways to exploit those people um, in areas they go to engage in these kind of um, missions. Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the things, um, earlier I talked about the authorized use of military force. One of the things I think is important for people to understand is that this authorized use of military force was created uh, after 9-11, uh, 2001, uh, after those so-called, so-called towers came down. Uh, the, the, the act essentially says that the U.S. has a right to use military force against those that are responsible for 9-11. The definition was later broad, broadened to the fact that the U.S. can use military force anywhere in the world where its interests are threatened or its partners' interests are threatened. Now, when they talk about partners, essentially what they're talking about, they're talking about countries that they're military, uh, militarily occupied. Uh, there's also a term, um, collective self-defense, uh, used by the Department of Defense. And this policy said military force uh, is used to protect U- U.S. and military and its partners at any time, at any place. In other words, and when you talk about Africa, you talk about in terms of uh, military force. Also, you're talking about the decimation or destruction of, of the land. And so, therefore, what happens is that the likelihood is that Africa will be far worse off <clears throat> uh, in terms of famine uh, because, of, because of military actions that are taking place in Africa. But that is precisely what they want. They want to make sure to, not only to destabilize Africa, but make Africa continually dependent upon, you know, Western, a few meager Western investments that are taking place. And so, therefore, when you talk about the, that in terms of, you know, conveying the, the seriousness of the situation to the people, it's important to understand that all of this stuff is all about the furtherance of imperialism. It never was about anything else other than furtherance or imperialism. Africa is essential in terms of as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a continent providing the, the raw materials that it needs in terms of its raw machine. So Africa is not going anywhere. They're going to continue to occupy Africa. And unless African states work together to get them out of Africa, which is going to be very, very tough, they're not going anywhere. Uh, Africa may be in a position where to get the U.S. out of Africa, they may literally have to fight. But otherwise, they're not going to leave. So I think that all of this is all about the furtherance of imperialism 
And so it means that there's no future for Africa as long as this imperialism exists. And this is why important people understand. So don't get it, don't get it twisted. Don't think for one second that what happens to Africa is isolated from what happens in America, because what happens to Africa also happens to Africans in America. So don't get it twisted. Don't think that well, that's their their concern, not mine. Is ours is our concern as well. So this is the problem that the people have to understand in terms of when you look at this terms of this 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 rapid military growth in Africa. Understand the implication. It's not a good implication. It means either the Africa is for big, big trouble. Africans of the world are in for big, big trouble. Well, Haki, it seems to me many of these wars, is, they are already fighting in Africa. And it's clear from this article, if, if these facts are true, that they are saying they are preparing to fight Africans inside of Africa. And they are locking down having them on lockdown everywhere, in every way you think of, from country to country. And, um, you know, I know history stated that um, imperialism will come to Africa and Tombstone will end up in being buried in Africa. I think this is the pre-stage of, um, of this reality to come to true because clearly they understand that the, 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 the fight, or as they say, the throwdown will have to take place inside, and they have positioned themselves to to be well placed to to, to take on the balance on the continent on a continental basis. It's clearly, if you look at this article, that's what it says to me. But anyway, panelists, any other final thoughts before we move on? One final thought that I have is that um, one of the biggest things that Americans do. And the whole world, and they've always done it in Africa, every single time you want to start up a new project like your drones, what you do is you take it over there and what you want to do is experiment medically on the African people. They did it with birth control. They did it with baby formula. They do it with everything. The Africans are the guinea pigs. And so one of the things that I noted in the article, too, is that also there this stuff that they're doing with drones in Africa is outlawed in the U.S. And so there's a big experiment going on there medically, and you can bet your bottom dollar on that. Well, Sister yeah. Harry, as far as, as, as drone users in the U.S., oh, they, they're innovating as we speak. Oh, that's going to be, that's going to be, that's going to be, <laughs> it won't be long before you see the drones flying across the cities, you know, in this country. So they they've already uh, said that they're going to do that. So that's well, that's, they're already they're yeah, already flying across the country here on a small basis. I I hate I don't want to get you all thinking Hattie's gone crazy, but there there are little insects flying around that they have made into little drones that are doing things already. Birds that we think are birds are not birds. Little insects are not little insects, and that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, but I'm, yeah, I'm talking about drones that actually are loaded with missiles for you know assassinations. <laughs> they already got that plan, so that's already in work. So what they're doing in Africa, they're also doing also going to do here in America. So that's what I said earlier. What goes on in Africa is indistinguishable from what's going on in America. People think look over to Africa and say, well, that's Africa, not understanding that what happened in Africa happens here. And so that's the point oh, that I'm trying sure. to make. Oh, sure, for sure, agreed upon, definitely, definitely us too. But there is a broader, more sinister kind of thing when it comes to the African people and experimentation. 
Yeah, no question about that. I mean, the World Health Organization and spread of, you know, yellow fever and, and, and other kind of diseases. Exactly. Uh, you know, uh, clearly, clearly, I mean, they, uh, yeah, uh, they, yes. there's a tremendous yeah. amount of contempt, there's a tremendous amount of contempt for African people. And I think I think that by virtue of the military being in Africa, Africans themselves will begin to understand the, the, the level of that contempt. I think we can talk about it, but until they put it to the contempt themselves, then they'll begin to understand, you know, the, the nature of the beast. But one thing, Brother Africa, um, you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of the final battle being waged in Africa, in terms of destruction and imperialism, one of the things that uh, the Africans are very, very aware of their exportation. In fact, the economic partnership agreement uh, was rejected by a lot of African states. The reason being is that there'd be no more uh, business as usual, that the African, African countries are tired of the exportation in terms of, you know, in terms of Western policy as it relates to Africa. And so, therefore, they're not willing to play ball. So the consciousness is understanding, you know, that things have to change is growing in Africa, and that's a good thing. So when Africans rejected, you know, this uh, agreement, that was, that was a great day for them to, to do that. So I certainly hope, hope they persist and, 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 and not be part of these Western agreements where they justify or rationalize the exploitation of Africa continually. So, but I think that, you know, with, with, with reasoning like this, with understanding like this, I think you're absolutely correct that it's inevitable you know, that the final battle is going to be waged in Africa, but it's going to be waged because increasingly African people are becoming more conscious, you know, by actually seeing examples in terms of U.S. imperialism at work. So I think that you're absolutely correct in terms of that be the final place, uh, as as um, as uh, Nkrumah would say. You know, we can we we can we can project we can project and we can predict that with this kind of placement, Africans being all over Africa, you can see more more um, balkanization in Africa. Instead of countries uniting more as one, you can see more countries fighting for. Create new little countries. You can see more more coups in governments. You also go find out it can become more difficult for Africans on our side to come into Africa to to come home because all of this gonna be is dictated gonna be dictated by the outside by U.S. and other Western countries. So the fight is on. We talk about pan Africanism, the fight is on. Panelists, the fight is on. Any other thoughts before we take our station break and move on mm-hmm. to our next article as we talk about what's going on uh, in the eastern part of Africa, in uh, Ethiopia, in Eritrea, in that section of Africa? Any final thoughts? Well, one one thing I want to say is that we have to look at this, this nanotechnology Um that's going on and just to re- reiterate it, it's all about the resources it's all about raping and robbing as usual along with medical atrocities to come thank you and one of the trade-offs inside U.S. where you find applicants and people on the outside they will promote you to these military positions and make the people think you're a great man at the expense of killing and bombing your own brothers and sisters. And this is what has already happened under the Obama administration, which most people don't want to talk about. Whoever thought that African born over here will be put in a position where he would kill more Africans than all the European prisons put together since the U.S. existence. These are the scenarios and contradictions 
that has uh, been developed. And these are some of the lessons that we must learn and understand you know, from history. So we panelists, let's pause for this cause when we come back. We can look at what's going on and we're in the Horn of Africa. So we're going to pause for this cause and we'll be right back and you'll listen to Africa on the Moon. We're talking about what is happening in Africa. You must again take time out and search for yourself and find out what's going on back in your home. Africa is not only important to you, but it's important to your people, all of humanity. If that will be one. So we're going to pause for this call and we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Moon. Up. That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a calling terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that. Have that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Lumumba was democracy. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that mm-hmm. is music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure.
Getting ready for Syria First black president The masses were hungry But the same president Just bombed an African country Like We'd like to welcome you back To African Mood You're listening to a Song titled The Obama Nation Check it out It raises many of the contradictions That we are speaking about tonight And just whole history Of this whole question of Obama and his administration. So let's move forward, panelists. That was another Israel article that was um, published from Africa Magazine, and it was dated on the 20th of November, 2018. Look up the title called Powerful Ethiopian Party Accused of Government of Ethnic Crackdown. Now, why I thought this was a significant article is because I think it can give you an indication of um, you begin to look at these internal strife or division in terms of when we talk about choosing new government or choosing government that's going to be responsible and government can fight corruption. Um, we can expect, you know, how maybe outside forces may play a role or may not play a role in terms of um, in terms of this process. In this case, I sort of believe there may be some kind of hint-to-end behind possibility of um, how this is is playing out, particularly recently in Ethiopia, they just chosen a brother who's from the Roman nation for the first time, and that's been one of the groups for many years has been locked out of this process, this political process. So when we read this article, uh, one of the things came to mind is if you try to clean up corruption, and if one party been in the power for a long period of time, which means they must have had some kind of relationship with corruption, Meaning, therefore, logically, some of their, their, their forces would have to be dealt with. Uh, how can we avoid other forces for intervening in terms of internal politics that will not split us into um, many different little subgroups that we already um, that already exist in Africa? So, when we read this article, uh, Brother Anthony, um, it, it deals with this question of accusing the new government of playing political politics by attacking a particular ethnic group. Did you buy into that particular um, logic when you read this article, Brother Anthony? Uh, no, I think I think what is happening is the fact that um, that as uh, conditions change and develop, uh, the class struggle inside of Africa is intensifying because of Africom and other imperialist forces on the continent. And uh, Africa has abundant resources, but they are limited. And uh, they're not endless. Um, And, uh, you know, and uh, so I think you have, and because Africa is so heavily fragmented, 
you have uh, different ethnic groups competing for control of uh, the limited resources in each of these, um, uh, 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 you know, microstates in Africa. So I think what what is uh, what's going on is is an intensification of uh, the class struggle in South Africa being masked as an ethnic conflict, and uh, that and that which is not to say that that's not real. And it was mentioned in one of our earlier programs in which we had uh, people from Moromia on the program. That, uh, that 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 one of their struggles was against the uh, the, the Tigrinians, in addition to the uh, uh, Amharas. So, uh, so 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 there is that uh, that factor, that strife. But I think it's exacerbated by the neo-colonial state that Africa is in right now. And so I take away from this is the fact that um, that uh, you know that this that you you have one sector that has been powerful a long time, the TPLF, and mm-hmm. uh, you know there's an effort to correct uh, past wrongs by trying to deal with the corruption, but uh, that th- there's uh, an accusation of uh, an ethnic group being singled out. Brother Aki, what you take from this article? What lessons can we learn, if any? Well, I think one of the things is that I think, you know, just fundamentally speaking, one of the things is that any time you are embraced um, by imperialist powers, then that's a person that you can't trust. Conservative uh, has been the case, and it continues to be the case. Uh, one of the things the current uh, prime minister of uh, Ethiopia, Abed Ahmed, uh, prays for the West. And it's praised for promising to open up key sections of the, of the economy to foreign investments. Of course, we talk about foreign investments. We know precisely who he's talking about. He's talking about the U.S. So we, we understand mm-hmm. that. Uh, interestingly, uh, this guy, Ahmed, he met with Mike Pence, the vice president of the United States, and Christine Lagarde of the IMF, both of which praised his leadership. And that is, that is a fundamentally, that is a real concern when he's to imperialists and embrace you. So it tells me. There's something that's not up and up. There's something that's fundamentally wrong in terms of Ahmed's motivations, in terms of, you know, what, what he plans to do in terms of leading, you know, Ethiopia. Uh, also, there was an event that happened in Ethiopia that was very, very important, and that was the passing of a, a, a engineer by the name of Bekele. Now, Bekele was responsible for the, uh, the Renaissance Dam project in Ethiopia, the largest project on the African continent, in fact, in the world. And one of the things was that this, this brother was very, he was very independent-minded. He wanted Africa to develop independently. He didn't want Western investments, you know, to, to in, in, in any form or fashion, undermine the development of Africa. And he was very, very strong on that. Well, unfortunately, Brother Bakele was killed. Uh, someone shot him in the, behind the right ear. Uh, strange enough, when he was killed, uh, his security forces were advised not to accompany him on his away trips. Uh, now, if that's not questionable enough, one of the things also is that uh, 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 the current prime minister of, uh, of Ethiopia, Ahmed, he conceded some land. He's in the process of conceding land to uh, Eritrea. And what's going to happen by conceding the land to Eritrea, it can effectively block China from, you know, creating a railway across the East Africa. 
And, of course, the, this is very important in terms of Africa's development, that those railroad lines exist. Well, fundamentally, even though uh, in the past, Ethiopia invested a lot of money in terms of not only the dam, but this railway system along with China investments, uh, they did a very good job in terms of starting that process. Now, the mere fact that he's trying to undermine that process and to eliminate every, all the work that's been done to, to be willing to lose all that money speaks to some nefarious uh, motives on, behi- on, beh- on behalf of, uh, of, of Ahmed. Now, also, now, here's the thing I find very questionable in terms of um, some additional things I find questionable in terms of Ahmed's motivation. He met with General Sisi, who was an Egyptian president, and we talk about despot. Uh, he is a puppet of the U.S. I mean, this guy is brutal. I mean, he kills, he incarcerates, you know, without charges. He's merciless. Also, he met with the Saudis in the Emirates. Now, these are both U.S. clients. Both of these groups, part and parcel, carry out U.S. foreign policy without regard to the destruction that it creates. Saudi Arabia is, 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 is notorious in terms of destruction of Yemen and the Yemeni people. Uh, but yet, it does the West bidding under the guise that if you don't, if you don't believe in their brand of Islam, then you become a, uh, you become an instant threat um, to the Saudi Empire. So, so this is the kind of relationship that the kind of people that Ahmed is forming in relationships with. Uh, so I think that in terms of his motivations, I think they're very, very questionable. I think when we had the Romans on the program, they talked about the fact they'd like to see, you know, leadership, you know, in Ethiopia because they're the largest um, uh, uh, largest uh, ethnic group, you know, in Ethiopia. That was fine. I mean, that's certainly understandable. And in terms of how politics work, in terms of democracy, uh, if they got the numbers, then certainly they should be at the head of the table. But the problem is that there's a lot of sh- 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 uh, sh- shenanigans have been taking place in terms of U.S. Uh, engineering. A lot of stuff has been going on in Ethiopia that doesn't bode well for the future of Ethiopia. The mere fact that he's willing to sacrifice, you know, billions of dollars or investments on projects that have already been started suggests that he's in the pocket of the West. And I'm going to watch this guy very, very closely, but I suspect, given a, based upon what he's done thus far, is that he's going to do everything he can to undermine the development of Ethiopia uh, um, uh, under, um, undermine China's ability in terms of infrastructure invest, investments uh, in Ethiopia and throughout East Africa. So I'm going to watch him very, very closely. Sabari, mm-hmm. Sabari, your you, you take, what did you get from this article? What lessons can we learn from it? What I get from the article is that unfortunately given the role that the imperialist forces have, we still have to engage the aspect of class struggle where people who should um, be able to work together are going to be at odds because of the misinformation, miscommunication that's at play. And clearly that's what we're looking at in terms of certain groups of people being favored over others instead of figuring out who the common threat is that needs to be addressed. And Sister Hattie, you'll take on this article? I don't know what else I can add. Uh, everyone has really said <laughs> everything that I was thinking. Um, and there's a sizable, you know, pretty good Roma population of immigrants in Minnesota. And, and I just can't trust the, the, the colonial, neo-colonial uh, presence everywhere you go. And and as the brother just said, you know, finding that common enemy is so difficult 
for us here in this country, for the African countries, and I don't understand it, but it seems to be the underlying theme wherever you go. Um, well, I guess I do understand it, but it boils down to people selling out, and as you see saying, the the um, the current person is in the pockets of the West, more than likely, from best observation so far. However, I guess we have to wait to see on that. We need the best, just the growing. That's been the theme, the underlying theme forever, forever, forever. Uh, people just sell out their people. To and Brother Moses, what you took from this article? Well, I thought uh, Brother Haki did a good analysis. Uh, uh, I I really don't have much to add. It seems, you know, that this ethnic group uh, controversy uh, uh, that um, they're, they're uh, targeting certain ethnic groups to to purge and uh, and uh, that's uh, uh, I need to look into this uh, a little bit deeper. Uh, to get some kind of class analysis of this, these groups, uh, and uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Okay, let's make a quick transition to the next article, which I found really interesting in terms of this whole question of uh, the rule of neocolonialism and how this whole question of, of trying to understand the various forms of how the enemy can collaborate with each other and trying to cover up their their collaboration with outside forces that control them. That was a real um, good article just well, posted by the Internationalist 360 on October 22nd, 2018. Um, and it dated that it's titled, Africa, Africa, CIA, Crimes Against Humanity. Genocide, NATO, Rwanda, United Nations, U.S., War Crimes. And it's like a smoking gun. We found a smoking gun. Brother Haki, when we said we found a smoking gun, what was the smoking gun in this article here, this document that came out? It shows how the various African nations collude with each other to hide their crimes against humanity. Talk a little bit about this article, Brother Haki. Yeah, one of the things we we, we can recall, uh, Bill Clinton hesitancy when people raise the question, why are you sending troops to Rwanda to prevent the slaughter of the Tutsis in Rwanda? And there was never a response. In fact, they intentionally uh, didn't respond to it. In fact, they wanted the, the genocide to take place because the person they had in mind in terms of leadership was a Paul Kagame, uh, which headed the Rwandan Patriotic Army. They wanted him in positions of power, so they were willing to ensure that you know, in excess of uh, close to 2 million people were slaughtered for the sole uh, um, strategy of bringing to power this guy, Paul Kagame. And, matter, and by the way, uh, when you talk, we can talk about the G20, and guess who's on the stage with the uh, other world leaders? Paul Kagame. He's not officially part of G20, but he was invited by somebody in the G20 to be part of those ceremonies. So in any event, uh, they allow those people to simply die. And you're right, there was a tremendous amount of complicity in terms of what, what transpired. And often uh, the U, when the CIA is involved in these kind of activities, there's a certain amount of plausible deniability. And there's always someone to blame. In this case, 
they end up blaming the people who were victims of the genocide and not the people who actually carried out the genocide, namely people like Paul Gagame of Rwanda and Museveni of, uh, of Uganda, uh, who was, was um, hand-in-hand working together to ensure the slaughtering of you know, a large number of Hutu people you know, in Rwanda. So anyway, um, so yes, so this document it sort of uh, underscores this kind of um, deception that that takes place all the time. This is it's the M.O. in terms of how uh, intelligence communities, is how the CIA, M.I. M15, MI5, is how they operate. So they are, they, they, this was a very good article, but it's nothing new in terms of you know um, you know um, understanding the kind of complicit nature you know, a U.S. intelligence as well as Western intelligence agencies. Brother Anthony, when you talk a crime against humanity and the shooting down the plane over the Congo and killing the two presidents on the plane, there was a host of countries and governments involved. Now, does this just point to the state of Africa in terms of this question of nuclearness and how they will collaborate with the West? to carry out their bid, not only the, the governments inside Africa, but it also implicated the U.S. government. Clearly, there was a part of this. England was a part of this. France was a part of this. Belgium was a part of this. And even that so-called innocent Canada. Talk about these, these, these enemies against humanity. The document talks about how they all collaborated to play a role in the killings of millions of, of children, women, and families in yeah. Africa in the Congo, in Rwanda, I mean, you name it. Talk a little bit about these these, these, these characters. Certainly. Well, uh, Belgium has a very dubious history in Africa. Uh, they, uh, I mean, uh, under Belgian colonialism, uh, nearly uh, uh, ten, uh, 10 million uh, 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 people in, in the Congo were killed. Uh, con- to control the rubber that came uh, that came out of that region, and um, you know, and uh, you know, and uh, Brother Maurice uh, of uh, Friends of the Congo pointed out on uh, missing pages of history yesterday that over six million Africans were killed since this um, plane crash that took uh, that took place in 1993 over control of the mineral resources of the Congo. And um, and uh, let's see, and uh, all the major imperialist powers were complicit, it seems like, uh, particularly uh, the U.S., Britain, France, and uh, Canada. And uh, let's see, and also uh, Rwanda and, and, and Burundi. And uh, Uganda. So I think what what you have is an intensification of uh, of uh, different sectors of the, the bourgeoisie in Africa aligning with the imperialist forces to maintain imperialist domination. And it speaks to why neocolonialism needs to be defeated, uh, because. Uh, uh, as long as the the bourgeoisie in Africa maintains the connect data compradour class that allows the imperialists to maintain their presence in Africa, 
as uh, you know, as can be seen by looking at the agreements that have been signed that allowed Africa to come into Africa. Uh, almost all of those agreements were arranged by bourgeois forces inside of Africa in collusion with the imperialists. So uh, the only solution to that is unification and also political empowerment at the mass level. And raising the point of collusion, we also can add to the rule of the United Nations. Should African people ever trust the UN when it comes to African internal affairs? Brother Jabari and Sister Hattie, based upon this document, how should we trust the UN when it comes to internal affairs for African African countries? Well, I don't think Jabari. we trust them because we. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, you go to Sister Hattie and then Jabari can follow you. Well, I don't think we trust them, but I think we use the UN for what we can, because therein lies some of the problems as well, right there in the U.N., and um, especially one from Obama left, it was because the other left, um, wasn't a lot of change or anything done under this administration there. But I don't know. You definitely, uh, there's not a lot there, but we use it so that we can use it for and uh, move on. Thank you. Shabari, you, your thoughts on it? In regards to UN, it can be used as a tool to advocate certain issues and causes that we need to address, but we have to understand that the end on terms of getting results is going to be as a result of our own self-determination because one thing when you look at um, what we've been able to do historically, it always been the result of what our effort is to advocate and be vigilant um, and forward in our struggle. We never had to rely on other people. We can rely on other people. Brother Moses, can we rely on this uh, international court treaties and institutions that they have established to investigate violation of human rights. How do you feel about those kind of tools and how it has been used in this cover-up? Well, um, the documents, you know, show that, you know, that there's a lot of uh, under, undercover uh Operations and uh, and uh, secret agreements and 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 uh, and that you know uh, the the justice is not being served thoroughly by these institutions that are supposed to be serving justice, such as the United Nations, and uh, and uh, we have to you know we I don't think we can totally give up on on them, but. but but uh, we can't we can't have any illusions about what how effective they can be, uh, uh, because you know this is clearly showing that the, you know these atrocities are taking place right 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 with these governments in collusion together. Thank you. Okay, panelists, I want y'all to think about this. We're closing up with your summary. Before we close out, I want you to think about. Uh, as we discuss this subject tonight, what's happening in Africa? 
is a summation of how people should remember some of the key things that were raised tonight in terms of getting a better understanding of Africa. But we're gonna take a one minute station break and then we'll come back uh each one uh each one of you to give us a summary on what's happening in Africa. You have the emergence in human society of this thing that's called the state. What is the state? The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state is here. Well, you know, you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to yourselves. You'd be killing each other if there were no police. But the reality is, the police become necessary in human society. You know how we think, organize the hood under our chain banners. Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas. FBI spying on us through the radio antennas. And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society. With no respect for the people's right to privacy. I take a slug for the cause like Huey P. While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P. I want to be free to live, able to have what I need to live. Bring the power back to the street where the people live. We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons. Dying over money and relying on religion for help. We do for self like ants in a colony. Organize the wealth into a socialist economy. A way of life based off the common needs. And all my comrades is ready. We just spreading the seed. Live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in they back than fire back. We're tired of that. Corporations hiring blacks, denying the fact, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my rap. It's documented. I Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it. It's more than just fucking believing it. I'm holding in one, rolling up my sleeves and shit. It's the low for push ups now, many headed for one conclusion. Niggas ain't ready for revolution. Black male, live a third of his life in a jail cell. Cause the world is controlled by the white male. And the people don't never get justice. And the women don't never get respected. And the problems don't never get solved. And the jobs don't never pay enough. So the rent always be late. Can you relate? We living in a police state. Did press as he see the world 
of his eyes. Um, we are discussing tonight what's happening in Africa right now. Our panelists will get our final thoughts on the theme tonight, what's happening in Africa. We start with our brother Zabari. Brother Zabari, your final thoughts or summation for tonight? My final thought is this. Black visibility does not mean um, that just because there's black visibility does not mean it's in our best interest. What we have noticed is that for the previous presidential administration, we saw we had an African president, but that led to an increased infiltration, holistic infiltration of um, home continent. So we have to understand that we have to be very mindful in terms of the West that is or black leaders trying to promote what is the end game result that's going to become of that peace. Thank you, Brother Bobby. Next, we'll go to our sister, Sister Hattie. Your final thoughts for tonight. Well, um, I think that as we continue, we have to just continue. And I was just thinking about this global. It's called uh, Global Citizen event that's going on in Johannesburg, South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa, uh, commemorating Nelson Mandela and what that's all about. It, it'll be interesting. I think um, it would behoove us to kind of take a look at that and dissect that at some point for a better understanding of that. It's such a huge um, event, and so huge events like that. They they do matter. Uh, supposedly, what is it? Uh, um, a certain millions of actions get people in on this, and so it it would. Be, and I don't know if you know uh, about these actions. It would be interesting to see what kind of actions did get people in into this particular event called Global Citizens Festival. Uh, Looks like a little diversion from some real action that goes on in Africa to me, based upon the things that we've talked about tonight. Thank you. So we have to be attentive, I would have to say, of everything from each group. Thank you, Sister Hattie. Uh, brother, brother Moses, your final thoughts for tonight. Brother Moses. Yeah, well, we see that Africa is is being infiltrated by by the US and its its uh war machine and that uh, you know it's gonna take organization and uh, a lot of consciousness raising in order to get these 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 um imperialists out of Africa and the and the build scientific socialism throughout Africa. Uh so our task is, is is enormous, but it's not impossible. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight? My final thoughts for tonight is that we must understand that uh, that we need Africa and that we must unite and organize in order in order to bring about uh, a free, uh, unified socialist Africa. Because only a free, unified socialist Africa can ensure the security and freedom of Africans worldwide. We must intensify our level of political education and organization. 
Thank you, Brother Anthony. And Brother Hackey, your final thoughts for tonight. Yeah, well, that's no question. Uh, there's a lot of challenges confronting Africa, but I'm I'm comfortable with the fact that history's on the side on the side of Africa. And so, therefore, you know, despite the challenges, you know, Africa will come through. But like like Anthony said, though, it is important, you know, as a people that we recognize, you know, the importance in terms of, um, you know, collective understanding of what's happening, and that a response has to be collected. We must be organized and. Uh, but having said that, brother, Africa, I simply, as usual, I think, to say to people, you know, take time down robbing the matrix because this is real out here. And you have a good night. Thank you, brother Haki. Thank you, panelists. Thank you to listening audience and supporters of Africa on the Move. We'd like to remind you that this program is a weekly program where you can hear Africa on the Move every Sunday from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. It's a community project under the banner of the African Awareness Association. We come to deal with subjects and issues that affect our community and our people. We come to speak truth to power and hopefully that we can provide you with information that you can use as a tool to help liberate your people and make a better humanity. We come to tell you data and suppress people. We must set the criteria in terms of what is our priorities. And today, one of the biggest priorities that must be on the agenda is the priority of trying to understand what is going on in Africa and connect yourself with Africa and understand Africa is the basis of our home. And we must solve the problems in our home first and foremost in order to solve the problems that we are confronted with, no matter where we are. We say to you today, we try to deal with the what's happening in Africa, and the best way we can really find out what's happening in Africa is to get you to act actively towards working towards alleviating the issues in Africa, and you be the architect of writing, directing, and implementing the programs and the energies that will make Africa become a free, unified, and socialist Africa. So on that note, we encourage you to always try to struggle to go forward, Apple, and backwards, Neville. Find out what's going on in your home today in Africa. Because when you do this, you also will find yourself. Until next time, we'll see you next week. And I would like to remind you that please do not become a Buffalo soldier.
You have been listening to Africa on the Moon. If you'd like to have a copy of this program and other previous programs, please email us at Africa on the Moon 2 at Gmail.